Shortly after he was born, wise men from the east came to pay homage to Jesus. And they came with gifts to pay homage to the child who had been born king of the Jews. And while these men did offer gifts to Jesus, and while they bowed down before him, there is no indication that these men actually knew who Jesus was. They thought he was the king of the Jews, the human king of the line of David, who would take up David's throne and rule Israel. The belief was that he would, that he would uh, be a military ruler and get Rome out of there and restore Israel to the glory of the time when David was king. And so this is, of course, why Herod was threatened by Jesus. He was afraid that Jesus was going to take his throne. The wise men, however, simply wanted to pay homage to Jesus, the one born king of the Jews. They did not see him as any kind of a threat. But neither is it very likely that the wise men saw Jesus as the Son of God. Nowhere are they described as knowing Jesus' identity as the Son of God. And they don't worship him as God when they bow down. Rather, they bow before him as they would a king. So Jesus' true identity won't be revealed for some time. And yet in his life, and yet we, reading the story, know his identity as God's Son, sent to unite us to God through becoming human and through forgiving our sins through his death and resurrection. But before we get to Easter and the salvation that comes through Jesus' death and resurrection, let's stick with the Incarnation for a little while, at least a few more days. Even before we get to the cross of Good Friday, the Incarnation itself is a saving event. God desires for all of us to be united to Him, and the deepest longing of our souls is to be united to God. Now, we can't quite become God in order to be united to Him, so God became human, perfectly united Himself with us in Jesus. And so in memory of this event, we do many things to commemorate the birth of Jesus. And coming on the Epiphany on the 6th, we'll commemorate the journey that the wise men took to go to Bethlehem to see this, this child born king of the Jews. You might call what they took, a, you might call their journey a pilgrimage. It doesn't seem that it was necessarily for religious reasons that they were going. They weren't going to see God, although they were seeming, seemingly astrologers, so there seemed to be some religious significance to them in following the star that led them to Jesus. But we could call that something of a pilgrimage that they took. It wasn't merely a vacation to Bethlehem because they thought it sounded like a nice place to hang their hats for a little while. And in the same way, following their example, we have Christians who, in remembrance of uh, Christmas and in remembrance of the Epiphany, will take pilgrimages to Bethlehem to see the, the place where Jesus was born. And it's a holy place being the birthplace of Jesus. So of course people want to go there, and of course people want to be in that place to remember and to see where Christ was born. Unfortunately for many of us, it's a rather expensive trip, so a lot of us aren't probably going to get to go um, in our lifetimes to see the actual birthplace of Christ. But my question is, do we need to go there in order to see where Jesus was born. Must we travel from afar to pay homage to Jesus 
or must we go to Bethlehem to go on a pilgrimage? I don't believe we do. I think the answer to all those, I think, is no. In his book, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard described God as being all around us, even in the air we breathe. He says, God writes, God is right here with us to look after us. Scripture tells us God dwells in the heavens, and the first heaven, in biblical terms, is precisely the atmosphere, or the air, that surrounds our bodies. It is precisely from the space immediately around us that God watches and acts. Paul said as much as this when he was talking to the Athenians on Mars Hill. He said, For I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, and I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, He who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being." It only makes sense that the Athenians and many others would make idols or shrines to worship God. We we long for God. God made us so that we would search for God and perhaps grope for Him and find Him. It's part of who we are. And so it kind of makes sense then that we would make idols to worship God. So we would have something there, tangible, to be able to see God in some way. But Paul was telling them, you don't have to bow down to an idol. Because in God, we live and move and have our being. God is in the very air around us. God is everywhere. We don't need to bow down to an idol or create something in order to see God. And we don't really even need to go on a pilgrimage to come to a holy place. It's fine if we do. But holy places are everywhere. Because God is everywhere. God isn't more in Bethlehem than God is right here. All we really need to do in order to be with God is to breathe in the air around us, to walk around as we walk through God, God surrounding us in all all of our lives. And so in this way, we can be pilgrims our entire lives. We can live holy lives of holy journeys not having to wait for any particular place not having to see any particular thing but rather when we see a tree or the grass or the sky we can see God's presence or when we interact with one another we can see God's presence now we don't see this with our eyes but as Paul tells us we see this with the eyes of our hearts as he writes in the Ephes- letter to the Ephesians, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know Him, so that we, with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power for us who believe. Part of the greatness of God's power for us who believe is that with the eyes of our hearts opened, we can see God 
everywhere in the world. And we can be on a pilgrimage, on a holy journey, every step of our lives, every breath that we take. We can draw near to God. That's the beauty of the Incarnation, is that God became flesh, a human being, united Himself to us and to all creation. God was already here, in creation. But in becoming human, that was made more real for us, that we could draw nearer to God than we previously knew that we could. So, with Paul, we pray that God may give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that God may continually be revealed to us throughout our lives. For those of us who believe, God is not over there in Bethlehem. God is right here too. God is in Bethlehem. (laughs) But God is right here as well. The, The beauty of the Incarnation is that every aspect of our lives has been touched by Christ so that when we wake up and we're afraid or have a bad dream God has experienced that as a human being in Christ or when we are hungry or tired or thirsty or happy or really excited to see an old friend God has experienced that and we that's a holy moment because that's a moment that God has lived just as we do I'm assuming they may even had sports back then, so we're rooting for the home team. Go Texans, God is that's an that's an experience that God has has had. Um, all of our lives can be holy moments. All of our lives can be pilgrimages when we open the eyes of our hearts and believe that God is all around us. Amen.